Good morning again, everyone. It's so good to be with you. And today, uh, we're going to continue to look through the book of Acts. And one thing that I notice as we've continued to go through the book of Acts, well, she's bringing me a whole choice of Bibles. I just need the one on top there, honey. (laughs) Just the top one, that's all. Thank you. Appreciate that. We're going to look at Acts chapter 18 now. We're moving along. We're getting to the end there. And um, I anticipate the next few weeks um, moving um, into the stories of the gospel surrounding the death and resurrection and the um, triumphal entry and all the events surrounding Easter, which we would uh, celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And so if you, that's what we'll probably go to towards next week and take a break from the book of Acts. Uh, but we're still there today, and we're going to look at the first 17 verses of Acts chapter 18, where Paul is in Corinth. And one thing that I recognize, uh, last week I talked a little bit about this, is that Paul and um, the early church needed to hear God's voice, that there was a number of ways that God spoke. One way that God spoke, we saw the week before that, where the Bereans searched the scriptures diligently. They were people of the book who wanted to know that God spoke through the book. Very important. But we also believe that God speaks also to our hearts, to our minds. He he speaks in dreams. He speaks in visions. This is throughout the book of Acts. And we're going to see that again today. And one of the main messages that we see throughout the scripture, from the beginning of the book to the end of the book, is God telling us his people to not be afraid. So if you ever have a circumstance where you believe, hey, I'm wondering if I'm hearing God's voice, and, and, and what I hear is, do not be afraid, you can be assured that that's often God. The enemy wants us to be afraid. There's a, there's a, 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 a Christian song that has gone out on the radio in the past few years, and uh, it talks about fear being a liar. And, and when we know that Jesus told us that the devil is the father of lies. And so if the devil is the father of lies, and then when we hear lies that would cause us to be afraid, we know that if we're starting to build up fear within us, that this can often be a source from the enemy. That's not to say it's always the enemy. Sometimes it's ourselves. We built up fear within ourselves. Sometimes it's the world. And we see whether it be the devil putting lies in our head, whether it be our own fears and insecurity, or whether it be the world, there's going to be an attack upon us that kind of makes us fearful. And you know what happens when we're fearful? And I'm learning about this in my psychology courses. As I study a master's in counseling and psychology, they are dealing with the same issues that we see God wanting to address within us. One thing I I keep telling myself, you shouldn't be surprised, Thomas, the truth of the scripture is the truth. And when you learn what the secular world is teaching in psychology, it's going to correspond to the truth of God's word. It's just the different approaches. Psychology is teaching you that you can overcome these problems in your mind. Whereas uh, we believe that God speaks to our mind. God renews our mind and that we can speak to those same fears and insecurities that the world is trying to deal with, with psychology. And so what I'm trying to do in 
actually studying psychology. You might say, well, why are you then studying it, pastor? Well, it's so that I can gain an understanding of how the world is going about it so that when I speak to the world, I can speak their language. And that when they can receive healing, that they can receive the gospel. One thing that God spoke to me when I was considering applying to uh, a master's of counseling, uh, I felt the Lord speak to me first when Jesus walked around this earth. One of the first things he did was heal the people. Then he gave them truth. See, what I see is a world that is broken, a world that's in fear, a world that is hurting, and they can't even hear the gospel. In my own devotionals right now, I'm going through the parable of the sower. Farmers would appreciate the the parable of the sower. What does good seed grow on? Good soil. Good soil. Soil can't be rocky. The soil can't be weedy. The soil has to be moist and it has those, the, the seeds, roots have to penetrate down into the ground in order for that crop to produce a harvest. And, and that's a symbol of who we are and God wants to grow within us, but we have to have good soil. And I'm going to tell you what fear does is it holds us back from all of those things. Actually, if you look at that parable of the sower, it says the, they were afraid. Afraid, the ones who fell on rocky soil or the weeds that were amongst it, often it's a fear of things that are around them or a love for something else. And what fear does is it, it immobilizes us, right? Like you think about you want to be in your Christian journey. You want to walk with Jesus. You want to be able to follow Jesus. When Jesus goes ahead of you, you want to be right behind him. Well, when you're fearful, you stop moving. You're immobile. In your life. And, and, and so you can have the desire to follow Jesus. And I've preached throughout the book of Acts often about this desire. And I hope there's a desire growing within you to want to share the gospel. To want to see his word preached the way we see it in the book of Acts. And how we see Paul travel from place to place. Being willing to, to preach to people who would beat him up, people who would put him in prison, people who would mock him and ridicule him. And yet he goes forward anyways. Why? Because he did not fear the people. Actually, what we see is a healthy fear of God. We see them just amazed by God's goodness, a fear of God. And then that breaks down the barriers and gives them boldness, the ability, boldness, the ability to overcome their own fears. So we're going to see this in uh, uh, Acts chapter 18. Let's read this. Uh, I'm going to read this to you. You can follow along in your Bible. Acts chapter 18. This is in your New Testament, by the way. Sometimes I don't tell you where to find these things. And if you're new to your Bible... New Testament starts, you got the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you'll find the book of Acts, which is the first book after the Gospels, telling the stories, the actions of the early apostles, the start of the church. And so Paul's traveling around from town to town, starting new communities of faith. Remember, the word church actually means community. So you think about this, we are North Grenville Community Church. In essence, we're a North Grenville community community, if you think about it that way, because the church is supposed to be community. Ecclesia means gathering. It means the people together. So here Paul is planting these churches. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them 
as he became, uh, and because he was a tent maker, and so as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. And Silas, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in the protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go out to the Gentiles. When Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you. Because I have many people in the city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half. Teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia. The Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Galileo said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names of your own law, settle the matter yourself. I will not be judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowds there turned to Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. If you've been tracking along throughout the book of Acts, you'll see a pattern that Paul has in his missionary journeys. First, Paul goes and goes to the synagogue. The synagogue, by the way, was the church, the gathering place, the place where the scriptures were taught for the Jews. The Jewish believers, well, you can't even say they were Jewish believers because anytime the uh, New Testament refers to believers, it's actually referring to people who believed in Jesus. So they were Jewish in their culture. They were Jewish in their faith in the sense that they believed in the Old Testament. But here, the gospel, the New Testament was being brought to them. The news of Jesus was being brought to them for the first time. So Paul's strategy was, I'm going to go first to these, my own people, and we'll see if they receive. And in some places, they receive the good news and they're excited about it. But often... It's a split crowd, just like in Jesus' day, right? When Jesus is preaching, we see the crowds divided. Some believe, some don't. So he goes to the Jews first, and he sees that happen. But when they reject him, they often reject him 
and feel threatened by Paul and desire to beat him. Now, Paul's doing this so often that I'm sure some things are building within Paul where he's like, I don't know if I should keep doing this or how can I keep going on if I keep getting beat up? Right? Like, I, I don't know about you, but I don't like getting beaten up. I don't like, I, I've never been to prison. I don't anticipate wanting to ever go to prison. You know, like these things don't sound fun to me. And yet Paul's willing to do them, but I'm sure in the back of his mind, he's struggling with fear. See, I think sometimes we build these biblical characters into superhumans. They're not. Peter was a fisherman. Paul here, we learn in the scripture, was a tent maker. He made tents for a living. So for you people who have ordinary jobs, and I know most of you either have currently ordinary jobs or you've had ordinary jobs. You're not an internet celebrity. You're not someone who's just trying to get through life by making it easy. You work hard jobs. And you're wondering, well, God, what should I do with my life I'm trying to serve you even by just working a simple job. Paul did the same, and yet Paul still found time to serve God when he was a tent maker. Sometimes we think that people who are in ministry have to be like your pastor here, full-time, devoted, all the time to ministry. The reality is we should all have a ministry. I, I remember my dad who grows organic vegetables. Uh, he, he, when I kind of challenged him uh, when I was a youth, I always challenged my dad. Him and I debated strongly about like when I, my faith became real to me and I knew I wanted to be a pastor and, and I saw some things in scripture and I would really put it to my dad. And dad, I, I'm sorry for all the times I did that to you. Uh, I'm sure that was not enjoyable when I challenged you in these ways. But I, 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 I wondered like, dad, what is your ministry? And my dad's answer was kind of like, I feed people because he's an organic vegetable farmer. And I thought, oh, that's lame. Like feeding people? I'm like, how are they going to know the good news of Jesus? How are they going to hear the gospel from you just feeding people? So that was my high school attitude towards my dad. And this is why I apologize. My dad could do great work for the kingdom feeding people. One thing he did was he always employed students. And I remember one year my dad was, uh, God must have been working in his life because he said, we're going to start this year by getting all of the students together. And Amy Beth worked there and some of her sister, uh, cousins worked there and her brother worked there one time. And my my brother and my sister worked there. So we had all of these Christian young students. My dad said, we're going to get together at the start of the day. We're going to pray together as a group before we go out into the fields. And I thought, this is it. This is the ministry right here. This is how we impact. Now, I'll be honest. If I talk to my dad, I'm sure he wished we would have been more consistent with that. Sometimes the work became more important than the work of the kingdom. And I think we have to recognize that God's work can be more important. This can even happen to pastors. This can happen to pastors. I remember, so I... I was in a crazy place. I worked for my dad, and then I worked for Amy Beth's dad in the church, and I would work half-time at the farm, half-time uh, at the church. And I remember one day, we were going to a prayer meeting, we stop at a coffee shop to grab a coffee before we go to the prayer meeting, and a lady stops Amy Beth's dad. And I have to apologize for, uh, to Amy Beth's dad as well, because I use the story uh, frequently about him, and, but some of you are new to, to hearing me share stories, so I'm going to share it anyways. Um, but 
it, it makes him look bad, but I think he learned from this lesson. We were, we were in line, grabbing our coffees, going to the prayer meeting, and a lady stops him and says, Pastor Joe, I have some questions for you. And he says, that's great. I got to go to prayer meeting. I'll answer them another time. And I thought to myself, as we were leaving that place, going to prayer meeting, we were going to go and pray for the very encounters that we wanted to have there in the line for prayer meeting. Like, Pastor Joe, now he's my dad. Ja, like let's, let, forget about prayer meeting. We're praying to have this moment. Not to say the prayer meeting's not important. Prayer meeting's important because it prepares your heart for those moments. But we, we pray lots. Do we have these moments very often? Not very often. So we should have really engaged in that moment. See, you don't need to be a pastor because even pastors mess up those moments. What you have to do is look for those moments. And ask the Lord to speak to you. But here's the thing. The more you start asking for these moments, the more they'll present themselves, the more this fear will come upon you. Like, oh, even you preaching this, Pastor Thomas, makes me feel uncomfortable. I'll be honest with you. Even when I pray in my times of prayer and ask God to give me more of these opportunities, I get nervous myself. It's easier for us to sit in our prayer closets and ask God to save the world while we're in our prayer closets, than to go and be like Paul and go out to the worlds and face the crowds. To meet new people, right? Show of hands here, who likes to meet new people? Oh, there's a few. Okay, great, great. Yes, we've got a few. Yeah, some of some are some of like a half hesitation. I think it's great. If you are one of those people, that's awesome. Use that, those opportunities to shine the light of Christ. If you did not put up your hand, that doesn't mean God doesn't want to use you. Actually, what I found in my life is that the people who put up their hand willingly should sometimes take a step back. And the people who actually are like timid and, and afraid to share are the ones who need to take a step forward. Because me, the blabbermouth who likes to talk, people are like, I've heard enough of that guy. I want to hear from the person who's less likely uh, to talk. It happens in the sports uh, locker room as well, where we'll be sitting around and it's game time, and one of the loudmouths of the team gets up and gives this big speech. Well, he gave a speech a hundred times before about how to rah, rah, we're going to go out there, we're going to beat the other team, right? But when the quiet guy in the corner says, I think we can do this, it speaks to the, they're like, what? Little guy in the corner is going to say something, we're going to listen to that. And I think the same thing sometimes happens when God gives us a boldness where it's not necessarily from us. It's this um, God comes among us and he speaks. And it's not just us trying to be something we're not. It's God moving through us. And it's these powerful moments where God can really minister to people around us. And I'm only sharing you these stories because I believe that God wants to build his kingdom here in North Grenville to a people who needs to hear the gospel. The church has been on decline for such a long time that the next generation, the people who are kind of like from my age and younger, have not really heard the gospel properly. I remember people coming into my office and saying, Pastor, I've been to church before, but I don't know what that means, the gospel. Can you tell me? And so and then I would just tell them, Jesus Christ died on the cross for their, to save their sins, and he rose from the dead to prove that he was the Son of God. And if we give our sins to him, he will forgive us for anything wrong we've ever done, and he gives us a promise of heaven and everlasting life. Boom, bang, den. Yeah, I believe that. Boom, saved. Like, that's how we see the kingdom, right? Like, don't, don't we see the kingdom that way? But people haven't heard. 
And yet there is an element of fear within us to say, even that, you know, clip of the gospel, a 30-second clip of the gospel, can I really share that? How will they receive that? What if they have more questions that I don't know how to answer? You know, all these doubts and fears start coming upon us. But here's the beautiful thing. Verse, verse 9 in this passage. Verse 9 is so beautiful. It's, it's kind of like, if you're going to get anything out of the sermon, and I tell you this, highlight, underline, right in the margins with an arrow to this. This is, this is what some of us do in our Bibles. Verse 9 it, um, and 10. Verse 9 and 10. Because God speaks to Paul. And he says, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Why? For I am with you. No one is going to attack or harm you because I have many people in this city. Paul's probably like, but God, I don't know if I can believe this because I've been beat up so many times. God's saying, I am with you. I'm not going to leave you. It's funny because right after this, we see how they grab Paul later on. After Paul's been there for about a year, they grab him and they put him in front of, for a trial. And he's probably like, oh, no, God promised me wasn't, I wasn't going to go this way. God told me it was, I'm not going to get beaten up. Ah, what's going on? They're doing it again. And what happens? God's promises come true. Even though he got charged, even though they had their hands on him, they couldn't beat him up. Instead, they turn on the synagogue leader and beat him up. So the people who wanted to arrest Paul, the people who wanted Paul to get beaten up, end up getting beaten up. Did Paul have to do anything? No. He had to just listen to what God said to keep on preaching. I'm going to read you the words of Jesus. I wonder if Paul, you know, talking to, um, turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. And I'm going to read a long portion of scripture. And I thought, oh, do I read all of this? And I was like, yeah, Thomas, you speak too much. Just let the word speak. And so I'm going to let the word speak here as I read a whole bunch of verses. Verses 16 to 42. And I think Jesus just makes his point about our need to speak and not be silent. And I wonder if Paul as he learned from Peter, as he learned from John, as he learned from the other disciples, if, if as they shared the gospel with them, that he would have these words of Jesus in his mind as he was facing some of these trials. Verse 16 of chapter 10 of the gospel of Matthew says this, I am sending you, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils and be flogged in synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it, at that time you will be given what to say. For it not, will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brothers, brother will betray brother to death, and father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. 
you will be hated because, and everyone because of me, by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not be not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the students to be like the teachers, be like their teachers, and the servant like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more will the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim it from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but can kill the soul, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others will also acknowledge will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Sorry, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose I have come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemy will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for me, for my sake, will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, I I, truly, I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. I read that whole passage because I believe there's so much within that that is applicable to what Paul's going through here in Acts chapter 18. How often does it say, don't be afraid, but also it gives that warning that when things come your way, God's going to be with him and speak to him. And the same promise is available to us that when we're going to go through turmoil, there will be people who oppose us. Even the same family members, which some of you know what it's like to even have your own family members who don't believe to be against you. And some of us, I I see in the scripture where 
if I say, hey, you need to go out and you need to speak and you need to be not ashamed of the gospel, again, you're like, this, it just, it just isn't me. It just doesn't sit with me. But I, I find this scripture so beautiful because it doesn't only include the speaking of the gospel. It, it also shows the hospitality required to those who are speaking the words. So one, I would say, if you're someone who's not likely to step up and share and speak the truth boldly, well, one thing is be ready anyways, because you might be surprised by an opportunity where you can actually do it. The second thing is you don't have to go out of your way to look for it. God will provide you opportunities to serve him. And your ministry doesn't have to be a speaking ministry. Here Jesus says, even a simple cup of cold water given to the little ones, the least of these in my name will receive their reward. So think about it this way. Whatever God asks you to do, there's going to be opposition. Your ministry might be a ministry of hospitality. Your ministry might be coming in and helping with children. You're like the little ones. You know, your ministry might be to speak to people. Your ministry might be to serve people. There's so many things that we can do in the kingdom that if God asks us to do it and we're saying, I'm willing, God will put you in a position to serve him. You don't have to be a speaker, but you have to be ready to speak when God asks you to speak. But it doesn't matter. I'm going to be honest with you. It doesn't matter if you're speaking in front of people or you're serving behind the scenes. There's an element of fear that can come upon you. Because opposition will come your way regardless of if you're in front of everyone or you're behind the scenes ministering. Just by you saying, I'm going to serve Jesus and I'm going to serve God's people, the enemy doesn't like it and he'll find ways to attack you. I've seen it. Anytime God's doing something good in the church, we find... And Amy Beth and I, you can talk to Amy Beth about this because she's seen this as my, as my wife and serving in the church. And she's a pastor's kid too, so she's seen it her whole life. Anytime good things start happening within the church, within God's people, there's some form of opposition. Sometimes even within. Remember how the scripture starts in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16? I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Well, there is another passage where it says, beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. And sometimes problems persist even in the church where people look like they have the best interest for the church, but really they have their own agenda. And we have to be aware of that. And if, and, and we have to, I have to be honest with you. I have to be careful even as a pastor that I don't become a wolf in sheep's clothing by keeping humble and not allowing pride uh, and being the one who does speak the words in front of the congregation to become a part of my own ego. Like these are things we have to guard ourselves from. but we can't be overcome by fear when we face opposition. We have to keep moving forward. I'll be honest, in this past year, as we've kind of been coming back to a sense of normalcy out of COVID, there have been more and more opportunities to see the church grow. And more and more people are encouraged and saying, I believe good things. God's going to do good things here in this church. However, I want to warn us, we, we have to keep moving forward. There are going to be people, there are going to be things, there's going to be struggles where fear can consume us. Oh, if we do this, well, then someone might say that. Or if we, you know, if we're too bold or we're too strong, we, someone might not like it. 
And we have to put the fear of the enemy at rest and have the fear of God and what God's asking us to do. My, my question would be simply, if fear is coming upon us, ask God, what would you have us do? In this passage, Jesus says something pretty strong. He says, if you, if, if you acknowledge me in front of man, I'll acknowledge you in front of my father. But if you deny me in front of man, then my father will deny you. Well, and I, right away, my mind goes to this season that we're going into, right? We're going into the season of Easter. And if you look in the gospel of, um, well, if you look in the gospel of Matthew, you will see where Peter himself denies Jesus three times. It's found in Matthew chapter 26, uh, verses 69 to 75. You can read it on your own time. I encourage you to read the uh, time leading up to the crucifixion as we come close to this Easter season. Matthew chapter 10, verses uh, 69 to, sorry, Matthew chapter 26, verses 69 to 75 tell about how Peter denies Jesus three times. Does that mean that Peter didn't get into heaven? No. Even though Peter messed up, and this is an encouraging thing to me, that if there are, have been moments in my life where I've been shy, where I've been timid, where I have not been bold, where I've been afraid, and I've held the gospel in rather than sharing out, God gives me opportunity after opportunity to try again. And so even though we see Peter denied Jesus three times, we also see in John chapter uh, 21, verses 15, 20, um, sorry, John 21, verses 15 to 25. And again, you can read this. This is after the resurrection. Jesus has now raised from the dead after Peter has denied Jesus three times. Jesus reinstates Peter and he tells him three times, do you love me? And Peter says, yeah, I love you. Then he says, then feed my sheep. It goes, and, then, and then Jesus asks him again, do you love me? And, and, and Peter's like, yeah, I love you. Jesus says, then feed my sheep. And it's funny that he does it three times, right? Because it's like each time it seems like when Jesus says, hey, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yes, Jesus, don't you get it? I love you. Why do I got to tell you three times? Peter's not cluing in. He denied him three times. And each time that what I think is happening here is that each for every time that Peter denied Jesus, Jesus needed to ask him, do you really love me? Because you denied me each time and I'm willing to forgive you for each time. Now go and feed my sheep. Get back up off your feet. This is what I hear when I hear him say, Jesus, tell Peter, feed my sheep. I know you denied me. You denied me that time, that time, that time. But I'm giving you another chance. Speak. What do we mean by feed my sheep? Uh, remember, it's, it's, it's the, the word of God is the bread of life. And so what he's saying is preach the word to people. Tell people the, about the word of God. And, and, and my people will receive that and they'll feed upon it in their hearts. And so even if you're like, pastor, this idea of sharing the good news of Jesus with me is troublesome. I find it hard. Don't worry. God will forgive you if you've messed up. He just wants you to try and try again. He, he's promised to be with you. He will not forsake you. You can start with what Linda told us to start with last week. Invite people to Easter lunch, right? If they come to church on Easter, guess what? They're going to hear the gospel. That might be a start, but I'm telling you, as you do it more and more, you'll get more comfortable. You'll find more joy in sharing the word of God with people, and God will use you. The church will not grow. I'm going to be honest with you. The church will not grow unless we share 
who Jesus is with people. That's by demonstrating what Jesus looks like. There's a, there's a famous quote out there, and it kind of gets attributed to different um, uh, leaders throughout, uh, Christian leaders throughout the ages. I think he, some people have attributed it to John Wesley. Others have attributed it to other people. But it's like, preach the gospel. When necessary, use words. Which means you can share what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus without needing to use words. But don't, here's, here's my message for you today. Don't be afraid to use words. Don't be afraid to speak. Jesus told Paul in a vision that he would be with him, that no harm would come to him. It's funny that in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, hey, harm will come to you. This instant, even though Paul's already been beat up multiple times, left for dead multiple times, this instant, he said, no harm will come to you. The reality is this. Sometimes you might have to suffer. Sometimes you won't suffer. Right now, we live in a time of peace in Canada when it comes to sharing the gospel. Take advantage while we can. I was at a, 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 a mo, an opportunity to hear uh, an apologist speak in Ottawa. His name's Mike Lacona. He's a great debater of the Christian faith. He's debated Muslims. He's debated um, uh, atheists. He's debated all kinds of people. You can look him up on YouTube. He's a great Christian speaker, Mike Lacona. And he came and he sp- spoke to Christian leaders in Ottawa, and he said... He foresees a time where it won't be so easy to share the gospel, where we might be put to prison. He's preparing himself to, for this mentality that I might have to preach and face persecution. But the beauty of it is right now we don't have to face that. So take advantage, church. All right. Yes. Hmm, that is beautiful. (laughs) That's a good point. And I think that, June, as you point out, like, as I talk to people who've been there and done that in ministry, where you've had your opportunity to serve the church, uh, I had a beautiful time on Tuesday with some of the ladies who came to pray. And uh, one of them said, you know, Pastor, you've been preaching this message through the book of Acts that is very similar of the need to share the gospel. And we, we just see it come, so I'm going to preach it. And she said, I've, I've, I've done it. You know, like I've, I've shared with um, many people throughout my time. And I want to keep doing it, but my body just can't do it anymore. And as you point out, June, that scripture that says, when you're old, someone else will, will do it. Well, and I'll be honest, if you're someone who's like, pastor, I've done it. I've given my time. That doesn't mean that God still doesn't have a purpose for you. You still take part. Remember at the end of the passage there in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, even a cup of cold water in my name. You know, and and what I told the prayer ladies on Tuesday was this, is that especially your prayers are needed. Especially your prayers are needed. So I'm going to conclude by saying this. There are times where you need to speak the word of God boldly, but God has given you a ministry. What that ministry looks like for you might be different than it looks like for me, the pastor. I'm not asking you to preach next week. What I'm asking you to do is consider what God would have you do, and don't be afraid. 
He will speak to you. He will lead you. He will guide you. And if you mess up like Peter did, he'll give you another opportunity. But he wants us to be bold and not be afraid. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can come to you when we are afraid. Lord, and we want to serve you. And some, for some of us, that sounds scary because we do have uh, many people who have jobs and are trying to provide for their family and stress uh, raising children or grandchildren. Um, and the, the stresses of life seem to be enough, let alone serving you, God, in the church. But you call us to rise above that and still find a way. And a lot of the distractions, a lot of the trouble, they do come from fear. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that even in this moment of prayer, would you calm our fears? Would you calm our anxieties? Would you allow us to work for you? Even if it's just a cup of cold water handed to someone in Jesus' name. Help us not to complicate what it means to serve you, but also help us not deny our faith. Give us strength, give us courage, give us boldness. Lord, I thank you that when we ask for these things, you are quick to give them to us. And Lord, I pray that as we go out into the world and we interact with our friends, we interact with our family, we interact with our, our neighbors, our coworkers, and even people who we would probably call our enemies because they don't like us, Lord, we pray that your word would go out and that it would fall on good soil. That there would be a harvest that would take place. That people who have not heard the gospel will hear the gospel we pray for this church to grow. Not just numerically, but yes, numerically. We pray that we would grow in our faith and our boldness to share your word, Jesus. But we do want to see people come to know you, Jesus. We do want your light to shine in the darkness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.